podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, Andy. I was looking forward to meeting you in person in UK, but uh, the Ian Abernathy's, um, what he calls it? Um, uh, residential. residential. Residential didn't happen. I was planning to go on that as well, but maybe in future we can catch up. Uh, I'm a great admirer of your uh, teaching style, modifying the karate, and uh, full of respect for your patience with dealing with people and the never-ending story with him. <laughs> So I had to put that in. Black sheep in the Shotokan community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for having me, Les. Oh. I'm looking forward to this. Um, excellent. Um, I've got a few questions to you. Um, because I'm really interested in your um, syllabus and and changes. I'm I'm doing similar changes. I hope similar changes. Uh, to find different outcomes and speed up the learning for more practical stuff. Um, so I'm really interested in uh, in your changes to syllabus. How do you teach in school? And all about the, your changes to a practical side of it. Um, so if you would like to tell us some your uh, story, how you started karate, um, why karate? Yeah. Okay, way back when. <laughs> uh, so I, I used to get into karate just by fluke. Um, in the fall of 89, I, was, I started my undergrad at Dalhousie University in Halifax here, Nova Scotia. Uh, which is in Eastern Canada, for people who don't know where that is. Um, and uh, I was doing my phys ed degree, and one of my colleagues, uh, my, my classmates and I, we were, were walking into the sports complex, and there's a, a sign. And it said, beginner karate classes start in January. So I thought, ah, what the hell, you know, let's, let's give that a go. And uh, so we, we went, first class, and that, that was January 1990. I don't remember what we did, but you know, it was probably straight punches and uh, Yuki in the air and that kind of stuff. And... Uh, but it was something brand new, and, and I really liked it. So um, my friend, he was highly involved in, in some competitive hockey, playing at a high level, which demands a lot of his time. So he missed the next class. So the joke was, you know, I've got twice as much karate experience as you, right? Uh, but, and, and, he, and in the end, he stopped going. He's too busy with hockey. But I kept going, kept going, really enjoyed it. So it was a Shotokan dojo. Uh, I could use the word traditional. Um, you know, 3K, so... Now, some people don't know what that means. 3K is kata, kion, kumite. So kata is kata if you're in karate, you know what kata is. And kion is your basics. And the kumite was mostly the step sparring kind of thing. And um, so anyways, I, I, I got into that, really enjoyed it. Eventually started competing. Uh, by the time I was uh, a blue belt, kind of like a couple of years, a year and a half in or so. And, you know, I competed nationally for a number of years. Uh, I actually competed at Worlds. I call it the old man division or the Walker division. I was a senior at the time. I was 46. Uh, that was in South Africa. That was an awesome trip. Uh, but, yeah, so I did Shotokan. It's been, well, my, actually, uh, the month of my 30th anniversary uh, is when I left my Shotokan organization. Um, so... 
I, I, I needed some more practicality. And, and a number of years ago, um, started seeing some stuff online with Abernethy and whatnot, and I wanted to learn how to, to do some throwing techniques. And I, you know, I knew the basic mechanics of a hip throw. I wasn't very good at it. So there's a judo dojo just down the road. So I thought, it's 10 minutes ride. I'll just, I'll just go there, right? Uh, so I started some judo and uh, just got absolutely dummied by you know, the orange belts and green belts who've been trained for a couple of years. And, you know, was, but, you know, I'm going in there, black belt comes off, white belt comes. I, I didn't really have any expectations to be able to mm-hmm. kind of compete with them at any level, but it was a lot worse than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I learned some, some basic throwing and I, I really, really enjoyed it. There's uh, three or four instructors that kind of took turns teaching the class. And uh, um, most of the time, was spent on the, the, the stand-up throwing techniques, a little bit of knee wasn't, and uh, loved it, loved it, loved it. It was, a new, it was, a, it was nice to have a learning curve, right? So yeah. you get kind of, after training for, at the time, it was 26 years in Shorter Canada, kind of getting kind of stagnant. Uh, and so here's something I just didn't know much about, and every week I went, I learned something new. But I would get out of the car on the way home, and that 10-minute drive from being all hot and sweaty to when I stepped out of my driveway, I, I couldn't straighten up. My neck's all seized up. My shoulders all seized mm-hmm. up because I'm 45 or 46 when I started, right? So, and my wife would look at me and say, why are you doing this to yourself? I say, it's so much fun. We did this. And of course, she would tune, tune out when I started telling her about what we did in class. Uh, mm-hmm. But eventually, I, I had to kind of accept the truth. I was just too old to get into that, right? So. Uh, I had a chat with my my sensei online, just just message. Said, Look, I really like the class, love your teaching, but I just I'm, I'm destroying my body in the process. He said, Yeah, judo's a young man's game. Don't worry about it. Come back if you ever want to again. So, uh, so I learned some some. Uh, I, I would say my throwing skills are probably better now than once after I quit judo, um, just because I keep doing it in my dojo. Um, anyways, uh, one thing I didn't expect is that I really like the Nuwaza, the ground fighting. I really had no interest in it whatsoever, but I enjoyed it. But but being a judo club, I, I think this is kind of typical of judo clubs. They, they spend a lot more time on the throwing. Um, yeah, yeah. Just the way the competition's lined up, right? You, you, you only have so much time to do something on the ground. Uh, so then just by fluke, again, uh, a Facebook ad popped up one summer uh, for a jiu-jitsu club. And I thought, okay, Brazilian jiu-jitsu I'll give that a go. So I started that, and again, completely fish out of water once again. Um, uh, but the instructor was was re- very methodical, and I can appreciate that kind of instruction where there's, there's a purpose to a class, uh, and we'd be doing kind of rolling around on the ground, and after a while, I figured, okay, he's doing like BJJ Keon. We're doing it in air without a partner, and then we do the scissor sweep into a bone arrow choke or whatever it was. And, and, but we get the general movements. And so I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I became really good at it, but it was a ton of fun. And, but again, um, my late forties at the time, I feel like I'm starting to progress and knee starting to bother me, shoulder starting. But so I, I, I trained off and on for about a year and a half. Uh, got a few stripes on a white belt. Um, I guess I, I need I know more than I need to certainly for uh, a karate guy doing self defense. Yeah. I would like to go back 
and do some more eventually, um, body willing. Um, so that's that's the extent of my my martial arts career. It's been predominantly Shotokan, but I've done a lot of seminars with with Ian Abernethy, Patrick McCarthy, um, one of Patrick McCarthy's students, Jeff McDonald. He comes down. He lives about four hours away. Uh, I've had him doing a few seminars, and, and that's really kind of changed my teaching. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, what I do now is a whole lot different than what I was taught. Yeah, sure. Three K syllabus. It kind of two, two things strikes me from what you said. The first thing, you are the first person who said that uh, he went to the karate class by Fluke, not influenced by um, Bruce Lee or other martial arts no. movies. Yeah. <laughs> first person ever. And yeah, the other I, I, thing I is watched that... Bruce Lee uh, as a kid and stuff and thought that was cool. But there, I grew up in a, a small town called Truro. Uh, you have a Truro in the UK too, I think. Um, yeah. And you know, there's, there's a number of karate clubs. Uh, in, in town growing up, but I just didn't have the guts to kind of go try it out. I had some other right. sports I did at the time, um, but I just didn't really have an interest in it. Actually, I had a friend who uh, later understood it was Shotokan karate he was doing when we were in high school. I would make make fun of him and do the, the typical, you know, wah, 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 this kind of stuff, making fun of him. And, you know, a few years later, there I was in a Shotokan dojo. <laughs> yeah, I think striking because I've got quite a similar experience, so I by accident um, uh, joined in the wrestling club, and that you know I really enjoyed it. And and to be honest, I think thinking if I'd been introduced first to wrestling, I would never do karate. I just yeah. like, love cuddling. I have to say that I love cuddling and throwing and stuff like that. It seems to be much more natural to me. And as well, the BJJ I done it for a year, and but uh, the guy busted my um, elbow. So at the time I was doing a lot of massaging for as a for a living. So I decided, you know, I need hands really. Uh, so I stopped practicing it. But uh, I, I hope I'm gonna go back when the kid's gonna be older and I'm gonna be rich. So <laughs> yeah, so, still um, waiting on that. Yeah, and then then and the experience of throwing and stuff changed changed my uh, view on karate as well. Mm. So what? Um, the second question is gonna be uh, which something which is really interesting for me. So all the mental health stuff. Um, what impact has karate had or has on your mental health? Mm. Good question. Um, you know, I think we're, we're probably similar age, give or take a few years, I think. Uh, and I don't know what things were like for you growing up in Poland, um, but anxiety wasn't the word. Mm, you know, yeah. it's in a dictionary, but it's not something people talked about yeah. or understood. People just, because I can remember uh, mom having conversations with uh, uh, you know, she, her friends, they get together in gospel. So and so had a nervous breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, they're talking about anxiety. Uh, I actually had a conversation with my mother on the phone a few days ago, and we were talking about, um, well, about anxiety. And I said, yeah, I, I had anxiety growing up as a kid. Uh, didn't know what it was called. Didn't know what was wrong. And she said, what? She had no idea. So, well, remember, so and so would have a sleepover, and sometimes I just. I just kind of couldn't make myself go. And I just, I wasn't feeling it that night. I, just, I had, had anxiety. Something just didn't feel right. I, I didn't do things. Uh, it held me back in life to some extent. My father was very handy. He built a, 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 an octagon-shaped camp in the backyard. Mm-hmm. It was built like a rocket ship. And it was really neat because you, you went into it from underneath. It was on stilts. There was a hatch. The floor would open up. And 
just in the backyard, small backyard, and spent a lot of time hanging out there with my with my friend. I was probably nine or ten at the time, and uh, you know, sometimes we'd sleep out there. And there was a stint where I I, I didn't go in there at night, and so uh, Dad said, you know, why aren't you going in your camp anymore? And I didn't have an answer for him, uh, but I was feeling anxious about it uh, for no reason because if you have anxiety, you don't have to have a reason to to feel that way. Um, right. But, but, uh, and, and growing up, uh, you know, it, it did hold me back. I, I didn't go, I, I liked sports. I, I had a, I lived in a really great neighborhood, a small neighborhood with a, a small but close bunch of friends. We play soccer, we play baseball, uh, road hockey and so on. Um, but I didn't have the, the courage to kind of go out and try out for a school team. Uh, I didn't yeah. have the confidence, right? Um, you know, apparently I, I was quite small from my age going through junior high and not so much high school. Um, but the, the anxiety definitely held me back. So it was my first year of university, as I, as I mentioned, um, uh, that I saw that sign for the, the karate mm-hmm. club. So I, I went there and I mean, I'm, I'm reasonably athletic. Uh, and so, but, but, you know, you can be athletic one kind of activity, but not so much at the other. Um, so I, I tried karate and uh, got a lot of positive feedback from my senseis and I, I started to feel good about how things were, were going. I seemed to catch on for pretty quickly and as you know, uh, confidence, uh, success breeds confidence, right? Especially yeah. if someone has anxiety. If you experience something in life that you, that, uh, oh, this is something I'm good at and I want to go back and I want to learn more uh, that breeds confidence I tell that to my students all the time you, you have to get yourself out there to find something that you're good at uh, and when you do you're going to yeah. stick to it. Uh, but of course it's the anxiety that holds us back um, so yeah so, so certainly growing up I had the problem with anxiety um, certainly I have it uh, uh, under control nowadays uh, um, but karate was always kind of my, my home base uh, it, it always it was always there for me. I like anyone. I'd take a month off training once in a while, but it was always something to go back to, and it was always mm-hmm. good. Didn't matter if I was doing some kumite, if I was doing some kata or whatever. Uh, just to move your body with speed and fluidity and explosiveness. Uh, that feeling of being in control of your body is 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 uh, is is such a rush. Um, now. I, I, as I mentioned, I'm a high school teacher. I've been teaching for 26 or so years. Uh, I teach high school now since 2002. And as a teacher, I see all kinds of anxiety. Uh, mm-hmm. I see uh, in kids I teach in my classroom courses, biology or my martial arts course. Um, and I, can, I see how it, it holds them back, right? It, it, it prevents them from kind of taking charge of their life at school, taking charge of their social, social life. Um, and sometimes kids will come talk to me about that and they don't understand how common it is. And I always tell them, uh, you, you go down your neighborhood and you can count one, two, three, that host has someone with some kind of mental illness. One, yeah. two, three, that host has somebody, you know, it, it's, it's so much more common than people understand. And, and back in the seventies and eighties, when I was growing up, you didn't talk about that. Right. Yes. Yeah, if you had depression or if you had, if you were a worrier, whatever you call anxiety at the time, there was a stigma. 
and it's not so much anymore. So I, there's a girl, uh, one of my students a while ago came to talk to me about this. And I was telling her, look, there's all, like, you're, in your class, there's a number of other kids that have similar feelings to you. And she didn't get that. She didn't understand that before. Um, tell you a quick little story. This was a while ago, probably 2012-ish. Uh, so in my martial arts loving course, which is the, the high school credit course I teach, we'll talk about that later, um, mm -hmm. I had a, a student, and he's pretty quiet, didn't say much, um, but he, he seemed to kind of light up when, when he had my, my, my karate class. And this, is, this class counts as a phys ed credit, and I'm, I'm basically teaching karate uh, in the gym. And mom emailed me out of the blue one time, and she's, she's wanted to thank me. And it's nice to get those emails from parents rather than the, the complaining ones once in a while, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those come too. <laughs> but this mother, she wrote me a, a lovely email and said, so-and-so, uh, her son, hasn't come out of his room for months. I haven't seen him smile uh, until he started taking your class. He talks to me now. He smiles. He comes out with the family out of his room. It's been an absolute miracle for him, which is really great to hear. Now, at the time, I didn't have a, a, a dojo of my own. So the, the course ended, and it was the end of the semester. And he, he did um, start doing karate at another dojo for a short time. But uh, in the end, he I didn't continue. And there was another girl I had. She had some... Uh, she had a number of mental issues. Uh, she had some social anxiety and some other problems as well. And mom emailed, or it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't mom. Um, we, I took the students for their test, for their yellow belt test, to, to my sensei's dojo. And one of the, one of the female black belts from the dojo uh, came to see me after the test was all finished. She said, I just wanted to share this with you. I overheard one of your students talking. I thought, oh, God, what happened? <laughs> she said, no, no, this is a good thing. She said to one of the other girls, the only reason I go to school is because of martial arts. And that, that is huge. Yeah. That was the reason for me to go to a paramedic school, because they had a self-defense class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went there. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got as well, um, got a few messages, exactly the same thing, you know. Mm. We had a guy who said he month for months he didn't go out from the house, but he turned up for martial arts classes. And uh, yeah. they always says that the best therapy is to hit pads. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, there's there's a, I, a friend know. of mine. He's a psychologist, and uh, she had a, an idea which I thought would be great. Well, you do something similar. Um, I just haven't had the time to kind of jump aboard it. But she was talking about having classes. Uh, specifically for kids with uh, mental disorders like anxiety and depression, just for them. Because um, a 15-year-old girl or boy who is not comfortable in their own skin is going to have a real hard time signing up for a karate class, going there with, with um, uh, if neurotypical is a politically correct yeah. term, right? someone who doesn't suffer from anxiety, and, and see them move and smash and ki and that's a pretty intimidating environment. So she she was suggesting having a class because as a, a clinical psychologist, she kind of can say, "Hey, here's a program I would recommend mm -hmm. for 
right? And I, I would have to uh, do things a bit differently. So some of the, the students that she works with uh, are extreme cases where they're, they're just, they don't, some kids with anxiety look like they function yeah. and some of them don't. So some of the students that she deals with, uh, uh, they just can't get out of the house. Right, so to, to, to have a program that's specifically designed for them might be something I kind of tackled someday. Mm, awesome, awesome. Um, okay, next question. Um, so, how did you manage? Uh, it's related to your um, school teaching. How did you manage to incorporate karate into your PE class and into the national curriculum? Actually, I've... funny enough that the topic popped up today on the. On a forum, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People asking yeah. me. That's on karate nerds. Yeah. yeah. Should, should, should karate be included in the curriculum? Um, yeah, so again, uh, this just kind of fell on my lap, really. Um, so in Canada, education is under provincial jurisdiction. So our curriculum in Nova Scotia is different than in New Brunswick and Quebec and Ontario and so on. Um, but anyways, there's this fellow, uh, I can't remember his name, a long time ago, he was teaching a martial arts credit course in his high school. I think it was in a town called New Glasgow. A lot, a lot of our towns are named after British yeah, towns. Right? Well, my wife yeah. keeps saying that, you know, it's the name of this, but it's a completely different location. How could that be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, and this wasn't a provincial curriculum course. It was something called a locally approved course, which means um, a teacher can have an idea for a course and they put together a proposal and give it to the school board. And the school board will say, okay, yeah, 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 change this and change that, um, and then you can offer it. So it gives the students a credit for the course, but it's not part of the provincial curriculum. Anyway, my principal at the time got wind of it, and I think he had some money to offer uh, non-traditional phys ed courses, right? Uh, so he, he got wind of this martial arts course, and he said, Andy, we're going to do this. Okay? And, and I can remember the, the, the phys ed teacher at the time said, oh, that's a great opportunity for you. Uh, you, you could get the the, uh, the judo guy in and the taekwondo guy in. And, and I thought, no, I'm gonna, I want to teach it. <laughs> I don't want this to be a bunch of guest instructors. I did get some, some people in with different disciplines, but uh, for the most part, I did all the teaching myself. So that was 2005, and uh, yeah, just by fluke, um, I, I was, wasn't something I was looking for. Uh, it just kind of happened. So this is long before I started getting into the practical karate. Uh, so it was 3K back then. So we're, we're doing Kion, we're doing our, our Kata. So in, in a five-month semester, they probably learn Hien, Shodan, Nian, Nidan, Sandan, or Pinan, same thing. Uh, and we do some Jui Kumite, that's free sparring, but the sport type thing. That, because that's, that's, that's all I knew. <laughs> we do, you know, a basic hip throw once in a while just for fun, a um, little bit of pad work. Uh, but that's the way it was for quite a while. And then um, I, I started to evolve, right? And, and actually, uh, if you look at um, Shotokan Magazine, this is issue 135. I can't remember what year that was. But I wrote a... Uh, an article about that. It's on my blog site too. And they published that. So I've got, um, it's, quite, it's quite lengthy and kind of kids had fun seeing themselves in the, in the magazine. But uh, the article was, was about karate in the public school system and, and also how I evolved 
in the process, going from a 3K pro, uh, kind of environment to from 3K to PK, that might be a topic for an article I might write someday, um, PK being practical karate. So I, I started incorporating the, you know, the throwing, the locking, the bunkai, the, the pad work in a much more practical kind of fashion. Um, yeah, so I've been doing the course since 2005. Uh, you were also going to ask me about my, my, my switch over to more practical karate. Yeah, right? yeah that's the next, the next question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where did I leave off now? So uh, you said that um, it was a fluke with your teacher and uh, teaching in school. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So um, doing it for uh, fifteen years now in the school system. Um, so it counts for the phys ed credit in, in Nova Scotia. Every student has to have a physical education credit to graduate, and so my course okay. counts. For that. Yeah. Um, so. Last two years, half of my teaching assignment has been martial arts. So I, I also teach biology. I have two different biology courses I teach, and the other half of my teaching load is martial arts. I, they get, you know, I don't make, I'm not getting rich as a teacher, but they're paying me to do what I love. It, it, <laughs> so it, it's not, it's not, it's not work. So I actually uh, run down to the place I'm going to teach martial arts, and I'm, I'm telling kids, Juan, Juan, Juan. We're going to do something fun today. We're going to, we're going to do some groundwork. We're going to hit some pads, or they come in. I, I get excited with as much as the kids do. It's a lot of fun. All right. So, fourth question: um, uh, Have you started in a more traditional style of karate, which is Shotokan? We know. Um, why did you switch to uh, a more practical approach? What changed your view yeah. on karate? We kind of covered well, that it was judo stuff, but. Um, I had a conversation today online. Uh, well, it's a private conversation, um, and this person takes a, a different style of karate, uh, which has more, some more as wado, uh, a lot more practical content. They have throws and locks and so on. And what I found with Shotokan over the years, and even fairly early on, uh, I felt there's something missing here, right? Um, there's, there's something missing. I, I, I through my competition, it was, it was point fighting. It is what it is. Uh, but I got pretty good at tagging people from long range, and that's what Shotokan is all about. This is fast explosiveness, which is a is a, a, a valuable skill set. Uh, however, Shotokan is very narrow in its focus, yeah. and that started to bother me. I, I, and I can remember. Um, when I was younger, I probably I was in still my university days, and you know what young guys are like. I always tell my students, boys are idiots. They, they, they come along, kind of poke at you, poke at you, and you know see what I would do. And, and I kind of I, I kind of knew that in this range, I had no idea what to do. If I could keep you here, I I I was really good at arm's length to kick, to to sweep, to punch, but. Uh, in, in grabbing grappling range, I just was completely clueless. So I realized a long time ago that there's there's something missing here, and and also the the step sparring. I wrote an article on that too. Um, the three step sparring, the the one step sparring. There's just there's something there needs to be more to martial arts than this, right? So. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I want to learn how to throw so I could judo. 
and then I, I, I and I liked the uh, the groundwork, so I took jujitsu, and so, so I, I I knew that kata had content in it, and mm-hmm. by fluke, a lot of my karate experience is by <laughs> fluke. But you know, it's interesting turn of events, right? I, I saw some videos on Facebook from me and Abernathy, and I think the first one I saw from him was from Hian Godan. So you get opening movements, get that that forearm block and the punch, this kind of funny motion here. Uh, and he was showing it a defense against a, a lapel grab. So you kind of anchor, smash the forearm, get in the buckle, smash the neck, crank the shoulder, smash across the jaw, grab the head, and I think that in the Ubishi it's called Emperor Holds a Giant Egg, something like that. It's a little neck crank, this part. I thought, that is interesting, <laughs> because coming from I'll try not to offend anyone, but the, the bunkai that uh, I learned over the years by a lot of high-ranking masters, eh, you know, it's there's someone over here, there, yeah. and someone over here, and someone over here. I'm gonna, you know, block this guy's punch. He's gonna wait for me while I throw a reverse punch, and he still holds his punching arm so I can grab it and twist it and punch in the back of the head. And this guy takes his turns, and. It was never part of our curriculum, but it, you know it's something we do once in a while. And I just, I hate a bunkai. But then I saw Ian's work. And I, that makes sense. I like that. So I, I started playing with it because I was teaching my martial arts course. I, I say, yeah, Bobby, come here. I'm going to try some. Grab me by the, the collar, right? So I do bang, bang, and get something screwed up. And I'll go back and watch the video again. And, and eventually, it's kind of got a flow for it. And hold on. I got a notification here. There. Um, and, uh, so then because, you know, the way social media works, you, you like something more of the same stuff keeps yeah, yeah, popping yeah. up, right? So I kept seeing more of Ian's work and more of Ian's work, some more hand go down stuff, some techie stuff that, where has this been in my, in my entire karate career? Cause I, I, I lived in what I would call the Shotokan bubble. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I'll apologize now. I, I have some ADHD, and I and I when I'm I go off on tangents. Uh, but um, the Shotokan bubble, and this is I think true for a lot of traditional martial arts. There's this unwritten rule that you must stay in the bubble, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's you you can't go train with that guy. That they're the bad guys, and they're the bad guys. You, you can go with him because they belong to us. Uh, so you, you, you kind of don't venture out too bad, uh, too much. Um, but I really started to question the stuff that was being taught once I had a taste of something practical. So I started incorporating more of that kind of stuff in my, in my teaching, but not having a teacher was a very slow process. Uh, so like I said, the judo, I went there to learn how to throw. And then I started discovering, oh, Ian's doing a throw. There's like three throws in here and Sundance. So I started practicing those and it became something I teach quite a bit. Uh, when I started jujitsu and, and this, my, my instructor is kind of a funny guy. He's kind of a hard ass, right? Really good instructor, knows his stuff. So we're doing this thing, uh, a single leg escape. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, it was a infinity drill or looping flow drill. And so one person would, would kind of have the, the leg. And the other person, he tossed it, push the head away, kind of anchor it, loop this under, reach down, grab the other arm, and pull him up as you stomp that leg to the floor. 
And I thought, kick, pasadai, or pasa. <laughs> so I got really excited, of course, right? And, I, and I'm saying, uh, I, so I'm, I'm really enjoying this drill, uh, really getting into it. And uh, so after class, I went to the instructor and said, that, that's in our kata. It's in kata basa. Let me show you. It goes like this. And, and when you do this with the head, uh, it, it's this part of the motion. And then and the, the kick is actually just getting, breaking free of the, of the grab. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he just kind of walked away. He didn't give a damn. <laughs> but for us karate guys, uh, that yeah. was a, you know, a bit of a revelation for me. Um, so I told you I, I go off on tangents. Where were we? You were asking me about... Uh, uh, what, what getting made you? Practical. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. What, what so, made you to go to practical? Pardon? What made you to go to the practical side of the karate? Yeah. So I guess <clears throat> for a long, long time it was lack of exposure to other martial arts. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a taste of uh, of of Ian Abernethy stuff got me thinking more. And I would show my sensei, hey, look at this. Oh, I like that. He said, teach it. So I, okay. So I, I, I teach the he and go down application. Then I show him something else. I, I teach that. Uh, and, and off and on, he'd, he'd teach some stuff. Um, but it was, and, and I, I don't want to offend anyone, any of my teachers I had, you know, going through karate, but it, it was traditional Shotokan. And it was, this skill set was this narrow. And there was so much I didn't know. And uh, I realized that there's so much out there. And there's people doing this stuff. People that actually know what the hell a kata means. Not this yeah. nonsense. You're surrounded by eight people. Uh, so I started uh, uh, doing the jujitsu and the, and the judo. Watching as much YouTube videos as I could. And, and I had the luxury of having... Uh, ukis at my fingertips every single day <laughs> so yeah. before, before class i call one of the boys over you know they you know yeah they're 15 most of them are 110 pounds but the the, the big guy at 175 i'd tell him to come over and i you know throw a, a haymaker punch so i i try stuff every day and try 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 eventually kind of learn on my own that way um then i started going to seminars uh, i've been to a number of seminars from patch mccarthy uh, I would call him the, uh, the the godfather of or the father of uh, modern practical karate because yeah. it's been lost for a long time. Um, been to Ian's residential last year. Uh, we were talking before we started filming, missing this year because of COVID. Uh, and everywhere I go, I pick up new stuff. And there's, there's a guy I mentioned before um, in New Brunswick, four hour drive away. Uh, he he is one of Pastor McCarthy's students, and he just goes go down. So uh, we get together whenever we can, and you know, he's got a million answers for Hien Shodan or or Teki mm-hmm. Nahanshi or Pasai, whatever. Uh, but what, one of the frustrating things I found is the early in my path here in the practical karate, the more I learn the more I realized there's so much I didn't know, right? That I had, I, I almost felt like, uh, and again, I don't want to offend anyone, but I almost felt like I wasted a lot of years in my bubble, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in our dojo, in our creed, uh, seek perfection of character, be faithful, 
endeavor, respect others, refrain from violent behavior. So there's, you know, the, the Japanese kind of culture, be faithful to, yeah. to certain people in your life. And I don't, I, I look at that differently now, like for my students. If my students want, really love the groundwork that I teach, and you know, it's, it's pretty basic stuff that I'm teaching. It's, it's all white belt level jiu-jitsu. Uh, if they want to become a ground, good ground fighter, I'm gonna tell them, this ain't the place for you. If you want to get good at that, I can show you where to go. Uh, I don't think loyalty has to be dedicating your life to one instructor, one organization, one style. I think you need to open up. And so once I realized that, doors started to open and I kind of take opportunities when I, when I can. My, my biggest regret is uh, starting this in my this, this journey in my 40s and not in my 20s when I still had a body, it was my piece. <laughs> I, I think that the, that loyalty, I actually wrote an article about it. Um, it's kind of uh, misunderstood completely. I've been fortunate, my teacher uh, from very beginning, from first class actually, was always encouraging us to go and train with after uh, different style systems and teachers. And uh, he kind of uh, told us that the loyalty is from the teacher to student. So my form of loyalty is to get the best what student wants and needs. So I always mm. said to my students, I rather have a friend who is enjoying the, let's say, Aikido, for example, instead of having a friend who is kind of, kind of not really super happy with karate. So, you know, just go yeah. and do what you like. And I always like yeah. go um, direct to the other ways. Um, I yeah. think that's the way to do it only. Um, mm. just, uh, all the changes you've done, in what way have you changed your syllabus and what have the results been like for your students? So do you go the track, you, you're measuring the changes? I know it takes a long, long time for uh, seeing the results because they have to go for the gradings, but um, some yeah. outcomes, positive outcomes, negative outcomes. <coughs> well, so I, I, I teach in two different contexts. I have my, my high school course and I have my dojo. And then actually a lot of my, most of my students in my dojo are people, are kids that have taken my high school course. Um, but in this past January, 2020, was my 30th anniversary with my Shurikan organization, and which is coincidentally when I left. Um, okay. And in, this, in several months prior, for, for off and on for a year, I had been writing a curriculum for the WCA, World Combat Association. You're with the BCA, right? Yeah, I'm a yeah. BCKA, British Combat Karate Association. Yeah. So for people who don't know, the, the WCA, or World Combat Association, is the, the international branch outside of uh, UK. Um, yeah, so uh, I had contacted, well, actually, before I contacted Ian, um, my initial goal was to have a uh, two sets of curricula. So I've got my 3K curricula, where students are doing their, their, uh, you know, their step sparring, their kata, and whatnot, their kion. And then, but I, I didn't want to be a 3K club. That was going to be for testing purposes. But mm -hmm. I wanted to teach karate in a practical way. So I, I, want, I was kind of initially just kind of throwing down a loose syllabus, things I wanted students to know for what uh, yellow belt, uh, orange belt, and so on. Kind of like a, a pretest. You got to show me that you know some bunka if you're kata. Show me a couple, you know, pad drills and, and then you can go for your 3k test which is when they actually get the belt and so I, I i didn't quite get the 
the syllabus formalized, but that's the way I was teaching. That predominantly I was teaching, you know, fighting from a clinch, uh, chokes from 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 a clinch, chokes on the ground, uh, their basic groundwork, all, all that practical stuff, right? That's and, and we do our kata and so on. But it was kind of uh, um, I, once grading time came, uh, we get the students kind of geared up, who are ready. Okay, let's, let's spruce your kata up. Let's do it. Step sparring that we haven't visited for quite a while. And th that's what I wanted to do initially is, is, is to be a practical karate club, but still kind of have my, my feet wet in the traditional stuff uh, for testing purposes, because I, I wanted to stay with my, my organization. But over time, I realized it's just not going to work. Uh, it, it was because the more I learned and brought to the dojo, the farther away I got from 3K karate, and the more difficult it became to balance the two. And they weren't complementary. Uh, kata is kata, right? I, and I, I still teach kata the way I was taught. But they weren't complementary skill sets because what one day we're, we're doing, um, uh, f f you know, getting a dominant grip in a clinch and then pull a snap and a head down in a guillotine choke, you know, followed by a, a, a throw and so on. And then, okay, well, we got to do your three-step sparring now. And the kids are like, I say kids because most of my students are teenagers. It, and for me, it was becoming really hard to sell. So I realized I, I can't do this. I, 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 my heart is not in it anymore. Uh, so contacted Ian Abernethy, um, told him, look. Uh, and and I, I had a hard time initially deciding where I wanted to go. Uh, I had a couple options, and, and so I, just, I decided I was going to go with the WCA with Ian Abernethy. So I contacted him for some information. He said, well, there's, boom, basically there's 11 criteria you have to have in your syllabus, uh, and we can help you if you want. You can, you know, we can help you with ideas, you can, or you can just write it on your own and submit it and for, for approval. So I'm a very anal retentive kind of person. I, I, mm -hmm. I when I get passionate about something, I am very particular about the way things are organized in, in a document like this. So my, my curriculum document is like 40 pages long. It's probably too deep, uh, but with, the, with all the requirements the WCA had, so I had to have um, bunkai. No big deal, because I, I like bunkai. Uh, and I had some of my own drills I made, and I, I took some of Ian's drills and some uh, different KU stuff, and I put it together. And you have to have percussive impact, pad work. All right, I do that anyway, no big deal. Um, you have to have uh, uh, training for multiple opponents. So I didn't do a whole lot of that. Um, but with the WCA, BCA, you have to have multiple opponents, scenario training, situational awareness. So I got to throw all of those together and kind of uh, role-playing drills which we do once in a while. Um, and the role play is not something I like doing. I, I certainly understand the importance of role play uh, uh, that to kind of prepare yourself mentally for someone screaming in your face and swinging at your head, okay? Or, or just the, the verbal stuff at, at, at the beginning. Because if you don't practice the, the, the emotional part, uh, getting subjected to the emotional part, there's a good chance a person's going to freeze if that actually happens in real life. Um, anyway, so it had all these requirements, and it, it took me months and months and months to kind of write the curriculum. I had a few back-and-forth conversations with Ian just to make sure I was on the right track. 
And in the end, what I have is a is a curriculum that it's it's very deep, and like I said, it's probably too deep. Um, yeah, we also have to have live training, so even my white belts, and I've had some videos I posted off and on on Facebook. Mm. Uh, they're doing live training, so we, this is kind of beyond the choreograph stuff. Um, now they might be doing some some karate sparring, and at that level, it's I usually limit them to uh, it's just kind of punches, maybe some light leg kicks. They do some judo randori kind of stuff. They do some groundwork. Kids love that. Um, so getting away from drills, uh, even practical drills, get away from that. Uh, so the writing the curriculum was is kind of a. Yeah, you know, it's not the destination, it's, it's the journey. I, I really enjoy the process. As frustrating and challenging as it was, I, I did enjoy the process. But you asked me about how the, the, how the kids take to it. Um, they, they, they love it. Now, I, I suppose uh, you're going to attract a certain demographic of people yeah. depending on what you're, what you're offering, right? If I was doing... 3k karate and a lot of air punching and make these micro corrections you know of your hooky was uh some people are going to like that uh but some people are going to say i'm going to go do some muay thai i want to hit things uh so the, the, the community i teach in is a fairly affluent community i don't get a lot of kids that come with a killer switch. You know what I mean by killer switch? <laughs> yeah, that, with a fighting instinct. Um, you know, and a lot of the kids I get, they, uh, this is the first thing they've done in their life. It's physical. They're good at video games. Uh, and so, and, and again, I get messages from, from parents, from my dojo students say, oh, this is fantastic. It's the only thing that gets them out of the house. Um, but I, I would say uh, I get a lot better reaction to pr the practical karate I'm teaching now than what I would do uh, in, in, with, with the 3K stuff. I can remember teaching uh, um, you know, the, the key on the air punching. And I'm trying to rev the kids up. Now, itch, they're, they're, some will get into it. Uh, some wouldn't. But when I tell give a drill like this all right crash and clinch you get one kid with pads on you're gonna hit the pads twice and at some point he's gonna start swinging them at your head you're gonna crash in lock him up he's gonna drop the pads you throw two knees he's gonna put the pad up you keep his head you're gonna throw elbows they go pardon my language they go ape shit over that they just love mm -hmm. it some kids are, are not some people aren't physical nature so my martial arts course my high school class um some they don't really know what they're signing up for when they sign up for martial arts loving because they can take phys ed they can take something called pal which is a i call it phys ed for non-jocks it's, it's like low organized games and stuff so they can take pal phys ed they can take dance they can take yoga or martial arts so some of them just think, ah, let's give that a try. And they have no idea that they're going to be choked, kicked <laughs> in the leg, punched in the stomach, right, and slapped in the head. You know, I, you know safety is always important, but they don't understand that uh, there's going to be some physicality to it. But 
I, I told you I, I meander with my thoughts. Um, it's perfectly fine, man. <laughs> one of the things I absolutely love is see that mostly quiet little kid that doesn't talk, and you see her, you know, at the beginning of the semester, she's very timid, and then a month in, okay, it's time to do some pads. And that brow furrows, that chin goes down, she boom, boom, and she's wailing. And that killer switch that she didn't know she had, that comes alive. And that, that to me, is a beautiful moment. And I guess you can get that to some extent, doing katan kiyan. It's just not the same. You're punching air. Or there's a, there's a girl I had uh, in my class uh, last year, natural athlete, um, soccer player, wants to win all the time. So we were doing a, uh, had been doing some throwing, but just with compliant uki, right? Mm-hmm. And so we had, we had done a, a goshi, a hip throw. Uh, I think we did a sotagiri, the, you know, the reaping throw, the judo throw. And there's a throw, I have no idea what you call it, but you get someone in like a, kind of like an arm and guillotine standing. You push the shoulder over you, and you reap the leg. It's, it's just, it's more of a kind of a trip than a Is throw. It, I, think, I think they call it chin whip. I, I'm not sure. Um, uh, anyways, so we had done one day of randori before. That's not, not something you want to rush into, right? Uh, randori is a high potential for injury. You have to know how to fall. You have to know how to throw someone safely and, and so on. So I'm yeah. very uh, anxious about that. Uh, anyways, I felt this class was ready. So we did one day of randori. And then a couple weeks later, we're going to do some more randori again. But first, let me... We'll review your throws that we've learned, and I'll teach you a new one. So this is this kind of funny reaping throw we we're doing. And so the kids are kind of, some are stumbling through it, and some are getting it pretty good, as they would. And all right, grab a partner. And we had a bunch of kids off the mat, just didn't have enough mat space for everyone. And so I'm kind of scanning around with my, I'm filming. I think it was uh, last year, the 30 days of martial arts in April. And... So you, know, you kind of know who to point the camera at, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to point my camera at this girl. See what she does. Boom. She gets that throw that with re- against resistance uh, against a kid her size that she just learned 10 minutes ago. And then mm. she gets it again. Okay, switch partners. She gets it again and again. <laughs> and that's, that's a beautiful thing. When, when you get someone yeah. athletic like that who kind of, really gets things uh, but but go back to your question in terms of how the kids kind of receive things it doesn't matter if the if they're the the athletic ones even a lot of the the ones who aren't gifted athletically uh a lot of them still really really enjoy the physicality of the approach in the practical karate they, now they might not like getting thrown um mm-hmm. but then maybe they like throwing or maybe i had one girl last semester uh didn't speak, but she liked to smash things. And she had a pretty mean hook when she figured out the, the, the technique of it. Uh, but I, I, I have no way to measure quantitatively, but, um, well, I guess I can. A uh, number of years ago, when I was teaching the 3K format in the high school, I would get one class to teach of martial arts with mm-hmm. anywhere from 18 to 24 kids. Ne- the, this year... I got three classes with 
anywhere from 30 to 32 kids. 32 is the maximum allowed in a class in high school in Nova Scotia. So the, the, the program is wrong. Yeah. So, and then now I get students uh, whose siblings I taught, right? So I, I taught uh, uh, someone's sister four years ago, and I, I recognized the last name. Are you so-and-so's brother? Uh, yeah, she took the class, yeah. And so they talked to their little brothers and little sisters, and they ended up taking the course years later. Yeah, so it's, uh, and, and I think, you know, I always tell students, um, we're going to pop some bubbles today. <laughs> what? So I go on my little, my, my rant, I said, yeah, don't be offended now. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell them, <coughs> excuse me, you know what bubble wrap is, right? Yeah. Say, yeah, you know, it goes around and ornament that you're shipping or something. Well, a lot of kids now have a lot of layers of bubble wrap. And I know this because uh, I, I see them and you, you kind of nudge them and they're, oh, ouch. Didn't hit you. I just. <laughs> so today we're going to pop bubbles. And they don't know what that means until they see, you know, pads swing at their head. They get a cover up, crashing, clenched, start throwing elbows. We're going to pop some bubbles, right? We're, we're, I'm, and I'm big on resiliency. Now, we always have to be careful, right? Because we don't want to, especially for young kids that are starting off in martial arts, it's a fine line. Because you can go overboard. And traumatize them. Uh, yes. The trick is taking them to the edge where it's uncomfortable, but they can still cope. And then the next week, we come to that edge again. And maybe as the, the months progress, that edge that they can tolerate gets further and further and further away. And they, they understand that I'm not really going to get hurt here, I'm going to get smacked the floor, I'm going to know how to break fall, uh, I'm going to have someone on the ground, on top of me, fighting me, slapping me in the face and mimic the, the big heavy hands, and i got to try to sweep them without getting slapped in the face. And at, at first, they, they don't like this, right? I said, look, go ahead, slap me. And they hit me, I'm, I'm still here, I'm okay, I'm not going to cry, you're not hurting me, let's just... But we're, we're popping bubbles. This is really important. One night at uh, is curriculum night. So curriculum night is in, this, in our school is basically an opportunity. It's meet the creature, meet the teacher night. And so the uh, uh, parents come in. They meet the kid's math teacher and the biology teacher and the martial arts teacher. So uh, one, one day, uh, this one year, we had our meeting. And I was just telling them about the course. These are the kind of things we're going to do. And I told them, look. Safety is always a priority, but you're going to see some bruises. You're going to do some, you see some bruise on the forearms, maybe some bruise on the thigh. It's going to happen. We're not doing ballet here. Uh, and I, I, I give my little spiel on resiliency and generation of kids today. They don't climb trees and fall out. They don't ride their bike and try to see how many their friends that can jump over like I did and fall down. Uh, they don't, they're not in midair on their bike and had their feet come off the pedals by mistake and come crashing down their seat so hard that they bend it and crash out and get road rash over the bike. They don't do that. And they don't understand, uh, you know, there, there's, there's some discomforts in life and, and going through some of those rough and tumble things as a youngster and growing up is important in teaching us resiliency. But a lot of kids don't get it, especially in the community that I, that I teach in. 
Um, so anyway, I talked to these parents. So we're going to do this. We're going to do some throwing, and we're going to do some uh, so light strikes to the body. We're not going to break ribs. Uh, um, we're, we're going to see some bruises. We're a little bit of impact. Uh, we're teaching resiliency. We're going to peel off the bubble wrap. So I see this mother in, in horror as I'm, as I'm doing my spiel, right? And then there's a, a dad. He's doing this. <laughs> the nod of approval. <laughs> anyway, they, they keep signing up for the class. So I guess I must do something right. That's, 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 a, great, um, that's a great great feedback, isn't it? When people coming and actually saying that, you know, you're doing a great job and uh, more and more people signing up. Um, yeah. Okay, so you've done the change. You're now the practical uh, uh, person. Uh, what would you um, suggest for instructors who are looking to move to a practical approach? What steps would you recommend to take to do this? Hmm. Well, I guess in life there's, there's always things that we want to do, but there's never the right time. Hmm. Right? There's always a reason why you can't do something. It might be because you have young children. It might be because you're busy at school or because you have a new job uh, or you're worried about certain people disapproving of you venturing out in the martial arts world. Uh, there's always a reason not to do it uh, next month, next year. Then, then 10 years later, you don't do it. Uh, so my, my first thing I would say is just, just make the jump. Do it. <clears throat> and the next thing is kind of, based on the individual. Uh, some people want to try to do the balancing thing with their traditional and their practical like I did. And so I, I think it's important for a person to identify what are your goals? What do you want to get out of this? Uh, do you really want to dive into it? Uh, in which case, I, I, I think it's hard to balance your traditional syllabus, especially if it's something like Shotokan is so far removed from practicality. Uh, and that's not something that a lot of people are willing to do, to, to, to leave their organization like I did. Um, the other thing I would, that's important is, uh, it depends on the person's background. So if a person just did 3K Shotokan and sport fight in other life, like I did, um, if, if you want to get into things as an instructor, well, you need to learn a skill set first. <laughs> So you need to seek out other like-minded individuals and in, in someone's area where they live in, there might not be anyone teaching that kind of stuff. There's nothing around here. There's no one around my area that's doing practical karate, except for the friend I mentioned, but he's a four-hour drive away. Uh, so you got to do what I did. Go look at some, uh, some grappling martial arts. Muay Thai would be, uh, or boxing would be great, but... Um, and maybe more practical in some ways than like a Shotokan kind of striking. Uh, but if someone's a black belt and Shotokan is decent, I think that the biggest thing for them to do is get some grappling skills. So they have to go take some judo, take some jujitsu, take some wrestling, do something that uh, is out of their element. And once they start becoming, becoming aware of, of uh, the all the the gold that's in kata once you start looking at grappling arts the kata opens up to you so yeah just take a plunge and go do it 
it might require you kind of jumping ship uh, from your organization and, and you, know, you get to decide who you want to go with. Now, that's a scary thing to do. And I don't think a lot of people are willing to leave their, their uh, sheet the rue or their shoulder can or their whatever organization because uh, that's considered disloyal, disrespectful, and in some people's eyes, right? Uh, but anyway, like I said before, uh, um, I, w- I was worried about what my instructor would think, my sensei. Uh, when I, and this is not a, something when I, when I decided to leave, I didn't want to do this by email. So I, I went in and spoke to him face to face and, you know, he wasn't surprised because he watched my evolution over the last number of, you know, seven, eight years. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I knew it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when, um, and, you know, he still wants to do his traditional karate. And, and I think, you know, that, that's fine. Uh, and just as an aside here. If a person wants to do it, if they're happy doing 3K karate, just keep doing 3K karate. And if you want to kind of dabble in some, you know, some bunkai, you see one of my videos or one of your videos or Ian's videos or McCarthy's videos and start you know, playing with that and teaching it, that's fine. But we can't kid ourselves what we're doing and what we're not doing. If you kind of do bunkai strictly in a compliant fashion, you know, once every three weeks your students aren't really going to benefit from it. it you know it's an opportunity for growth and understanding for your kata which is valuable in its own right but you're not going to develop the skills that become instinctual just by dabbling so i think that's uh like number one what are your goals do you do you and your students want to become proficient at this or just kind of play with it and you have to be honest with yourself what you are and aren't doing when you start venturing out. All right, last question for me. Will there ever a um, battle of Hikita finishes? Hikita <laughs> <laughs> <day> for life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, someday, Les, someday I, I, I'm going to take one more kick at the can. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the energy to... to to deal with the backlash, though, but because <laughs> in in the karate world, people throw science stuff without understanding. <laughs> they talk about equal opposite reaction, F equals MA, and they really don't know what it means, and they misapply things. I try to, you know, I, I try to explain to people that's that's not really a, applicable to this situation, and, and they just nope, nope. Sensei says, take a tape for power. Take a day for power. It it will be uh, it'll be forever. I think maybe more and more people will will come to the dark side to the practical karate area uh, world. But um, you're you're never going to get rid of those people. Ian says that uh, you can't reason with the unreasonable. Yeah, <laughs> and it, that is so true. And I I try to avoid those conversations, but once in a while somebody might tag me in a post and get me sucked into it. <laughs> I think that label stuck stuck to you forever now. You gotta be Andy the Higgy the man. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Andy, where people can find you? Uh, your articles, your awesome videos, and uh, Facebook pages and stuff like that. Yeah. So my my uh, my YouTube channel is Applied Shotokan by Andy Allen. Just Google that; it'll pop up. And my blog site is AppliedShotokan.com. So I, I don't have a. Uh, I find out a lot easier to put the videos out than the articles. The articles take a lot more time 
Um, but I yeah. probably have a half dozen things up there. And uh, so, sometimes what I do is I, uh, I'll, I'll pair a video with a, with a blog post. Um, but it, it's interesting to, and Patrick McCarthy warned me about this uh, a number of years ago when I first met him. He said, you're going to get backlash, right? So on my Facebook page, uh, and again, on Facebook, just look for Applied Shoulder Can, you'll find it. Uh, you'll, you'll, it's growing quite a bit, actually, lately. Um, but generally speaking, the people on that page are like-minded, like you and I. They understand practical training versus uh, impractical training. Yeah. So it, it, I'll, I'll get a much different response on a video or article I post on my Facebook page than I will on a certain other unnamed page I won't mention uh, <laughs> because there's more traditionalists, right? Um, and actually, Ian Abernathy, uh, he, he mentioned you've got to be careful when you're looking at likes and, and, and likes and so on because you're going to attract a particular audience right so the kind of stuff that you and i do we're not going to have a lot of followers who are staunch 3k supporters right? they're just not interested in what we do we're going to get people following us that are uh, that are interested in what we do so they're going to like and they're going to write positive comments unless you start posting on these other forums anyway is what it is yeah so apply shorter can on facebook apply shorter can on youtube and applyshortercan.com on my blog. Yeah, in, in, in relation to posting videos, I, I like, uh, I took, um, I was really upset about having the, on the beginning, you know, backlash and stuff like that. We all, we all went through that. Uh, but yeah. Matt, Matt Chat, Chatman from Midmaster um, System, uh, Padwork, he said that there's only three types of people who are gonna watch your video or your content. So those who like it, those who hate it, and those who don't care. Yeah. It's only the way, uh, there we go. So you have to focus on the positives and just keep yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You always get those people that just can't resist a bit of feedback, right? Uh, Reddit. Yeah. I had something on Reddit a little while ago. And I'm just doing it. was a, I think it was a recent video, a hit worker, what I put it. And then, you know, it's just, I'm in my shed. I'm doing this. And someone felt compelled to tell me that I'm dropping my, my left hand before my jab. I know I do that. It's a bad habit, but you know, thanks for the tip. Uh, I had that conversation as well. Somebody said uh, there's a guy in UK who uh, comments on every post and he's the best in everything. And he said, oh, when you were doing uh, punching on the pad, you're dropping your hand down. And I don't know if you remember, I think you probably were part of that. I posted Mike Tyson punching with the hand really low. So, yeah, everybody, you're confident in punching. You cannot keep hands all the time here. So, yeah, it's natural, I think. Um, yeah. Thanks, Andy. It was great to have you. Uh, I had thanks to really go to sleep really late and I haven't slept last night because of my daughter but um, <laughs> it was uh, awesome to have you um, and um, yeah thanks for the great interview and I hope uh, it's going to be useful for people and I hope we're going to continue seeing your great stuff um, on your channel absolutely not going to stop yet thanks for having me Les I really had a lot of fun cool. right, take care of yourself stay safe keep training I'll see you soon <laughs>